Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Tonight we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. I'll turn that on there. Luke chapter 18. The dangers of spiritual pride. Luke chapter 18. This is a familiar portion of Scripture, many, I'm sure, as we look into it tonight. But we're going to see some things here, hopefully, uh, that'll be good for us. We're going to read verses 9 through 14, and then we're going to pray. And then we're going to look into our study now. Let's, let's pray. Let's read this together, beginning in verse number 9. It said, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, again, an opportunity to be here and to hear from your word. And I pray, God, now that you would take and apply the reading of your word to our hearts and lives. And God, I pray tonight that the words which are said, God, are your words that what we hear tonight, what we go away with, is a message from you, Lord. And we thank you for that now. In your name we pray. Amen. So there is a danger in our lives, if we're not aware, if we're not careful, that we can become spiritually proud. There's an overarching theme I want to look at first in chapter 18. The first 14 verses of chapter 18 really is dealing with prayer. Jesus is dealing with prayer uh, as an overarching theme, we're going to kind of focus in on just a little bit of this beginning in verse 9 tonight. But in, verse eight, in, in chapter 18, verse number 1, the parable that he talks about first is the widow that goes before the judge and continually is there. He's speaking on prayer and, and, and praying the right way, coming before God the right way. And I won't take time to read all the scriptures, but, but in this is this widow who's having a problem with someone, and she comes to this judge every day. The judge is described as an unjust judge who doesn't fear God, who doesn't have any care for man, doesn't regard man. And so he has no real care one way or the other. But she continues to come back saying, avenge me, avenge me. Help me out. Give me what I need. And finally, uh, the judge says, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Look in verse number five. Or actually, verse number four. He said, and he would not for a while. He wouldn't answer. He wouldn't do anything for her for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So the judge says, I'm going to answer her request, not because I really care that anything is going on in her life, and not because I think it's the right thing to do, because God has told me, because he doesn't, he doesn't regard God, he doesn't regard man, he's unjust. But he says, I'm going to go ahead and do this, because she's, basically she's bothering me. She's bothering me. She's coming to me all the time. 
Okay, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? <laughs> and that, but, but there's an important lesson here for us quickly in this overarching theme of prayer, and that is the way the widow approaches the judge. She's coming continually. You know, church, tonight we can come continually to God with the same request. We may feel like, man, we're just not getting through or something's not happening or maybe we're not seeing things. God hears and answers our prayers. He's not unjust. He's not like the judge in the story. He's not unjust. He is just and he is righteous. In verse 7 it says, And shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? And he will avenge them. He will answer our prayer requests. Church, tonight we can pray continually for the same things. God will bring the answer to us. So don't be afraid of praying the same thing every day. Don't be afraid of praying that because God wants us to come before Him. She came before Him in the right attitude and the right way, continually praying, continually asking, and bringing their requests before Him. So she has the right way, the right approach in that overarching theme. Then we have the Pharisee in the overarching theme coming before, and he is spiritually proud. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And then finally, the uh, publican at the end of this portion of Scripture comes uh, before God, and he is humble in the proper way. So these are the things. But we're going to look tonight specifically at the spiritual pride uh, and the contrast of the publican because it's important for us. It can creep into our lives very quickly. It can come into us without even realizing it. We begin to do the same things uh, that the Pharisee is doing if we're not careful. And so we have to be on guard in our lives that we are not allowing ourselves to come to this place of spiritual pride. And it's a very important thing for us. So just two things we're going to look at tonight. The spiritual pride is trusting in yourself. Spiritual humility, then, is trusting in God. Look with me again, beginning in verse number 9 of our text tonight. And it simply says this, He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so it begins with trusting in self, the causes of spiritual pride. The first thing is misplaced trust. They trusted in themselves. They said, we're holy enough. There's enough good about us. We're doing what's right, and so we are holy enough. We're trusting in ourselves that we're doing the right thing. Back in Luke chapter 16, Jesus had already dealt with this as well. In verse 15, He says, unto the Pharisees there, He said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. They were justifying themselves. And in Luke chapter 16, there's several parables that Jesus tells about proper use of wealth. They were justifying themselves in Luke chapter 16. They were making fun of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 16 and verse 14. It says that the Pharisees also were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided Him, speaking to Jesus. They're mocking Him. They're making fun of Him for, for His teaching on how the proper use of wealth. They saw themselves as being wealthy, as a blessing for being holy. In other words, they're looking and saying, I've done all these things, I'm trusting in myself, my faith is right, I'm righteous, I'm justifying myself, and I'm saying because I have this wealth, because I have this position in place, it means that God is blessing me. They've justified themselves. You see, their faith was based on a merit system. I'm doing all this good stuff, God. I'm doing all these great things, and so bless me. But Paul had to deal with this as well. He said in Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We're going to look in just a minute. Turn with me to Titus. We're going to look in just a minute at what the Pharisee was doing to justify himself specifically. But a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Titus chapter 3, please. Titus chapter 3. 
just to get a little bit more insight into this. How then, if it's not self-justification, how then is a person justified? Or what is it that a person is justified by? They were basing themselves on a merit system, on the works. What can I do to justify myself and make myself good and holy? And in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. We're going to see in just a moment that the publican asked for mercy. We're going to look a little bit more into that word tonight. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, true justification and true righteousness comes from Jesus Christ cleansing us and making us whole and putting our faith and trust in Him. They had misplaced trust, the Pharisees. They trusted themselves. They trusted in their works. They were trying to earn their salvation. And yet Paul deals with this many times. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, he says this, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It is faith in God. It is not works. Romans 10, 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees had misplaced trust and the, and the man here who comes into the temple had placed his trust in the wrong place. The people that Jesus was addressing through using this parable had placed their trust in the wrong place. You see, in their eyes, they were making God their debtor. They were saying, they were walking around saying, hey, look at all the things that I have done. So God, you owe me something because I'm doing what's right. And nobody else is. They turn it around and they justified themselves by their works and counted what they did for righteousness. They had misplaced trust, but also they had misplaced priorities. Look again at verse number 9 of our main text in Luke 18. They trusted themselves that they were righteous by their own works, by their own hand, and they despised others. They despised others. They looked down on people. And the evidence we're going to see of that in just a moment in the prayer that the Pharisee prays. They had misplaced trust, but they also had misplaced priorities. Now this misplaced priority of putting himself in front and putting other people aside, looking down on other people, is a natural outpouring of misplaced trust. See, it's easy when he began to look at himself. It's easy if we, if we begin to look at ourselves and compare ourselves to uh, each other and compare ourselves to others that are out there, we can fall in the same trap of looking down because we're saying, well, look, look at all the things that I'm doing. Look at how I am working in the church. Look at how I'm serving. Look at how many times I'm praying a day. Look at what I'm giving. Look what I'm doing. I know that person over there is not doing the same thing that I am. And we begin to look down on other people as well. And it happens so easily. But it's a natural outcome of self-righteousness. Because we're now judging by our standards and not by the standards of God. And the priority was on himself and no one else. He made his prayer. We're going to read it in just a minute. He didn't make his prayer to God. He didn't address it to God. He addressed it to the people that were standing around listening. So it would be a benefit to him. So people would say, wow, he is so holy. He is so great. He said five. He said I five times in his prayer. If you count there, we're going to read that in just a minute. Five different times he said I. And all of it was directed to the people that were standing by. 
the Pharisee here and the Pharisees in general, they had that moral superiority that they liked to compare themselves to others. They felt morally superior to everyone else around them. Look, look now at verse number 10. We're going to read through the prayer that he prays in 10 through 12. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. I'm going to stop there for just a minute because this is a normal occurrence for them. They had opportunities to go to the temple each day and to pray certain times a day where that was open to people. They're going up there to the temple to pray. They have two different motivations. They have two different reasons they're going up there. The Pharisee is going up there to be seen by people. The publican is going up there to make his petition to God. We'll see that in just a moment. But look at his prayer now. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. Five different times he says the word I. And he compares himself to two different groups of people, actually, and saying the whole time, I'm better than all these other people that I'm talking about right now. He feels morally superior. He says, I'm not as other men are. Christian, this is a danger that we can get into if we're not careful. We begin to compare ourselves to those that are not saved, those that are outside of the faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not as other people are. I'm not the same as them. I don't live the same as them. I'm not as other men are. Extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. These are sinful things. There, there's a lot of things in this world that people are doing. They're wrong. They're sinful. And the Pharisee looks around and says, I'm not like those people that are outside. I'm not like those people that are unsaved. I'm not like those people that aren't believers. I'm not like those people out there. I'm better than they are. I don't do these things. Now here's the thing. It may have been true about him. He may not have been an extortioner. He may not have been bribing people. He may have been a very just and good person, a morally upright person. He may have truly not been an adulterer. But he's looking at it wrong. He doesn't have the right perspective on what sin is. He concludes that portion by saying this, I'm not like the publican. Now some people may say, maybe he knew this publican. Maybe he knew this man. And he knew that these things were true of that man. Or maybe... He didn't know this particular public and this particular tax collector, but he said all the people that are like him are this way. A prejudice in his heart. Everyone who is in this category is what they are. Unjust, extortioners, adulterers. Thank God that I'm not like them. Ultimately, that's what he's saying right there. A prejudice for them. But notice not only is he saying I'm morally superior to those that are outside, those who are unsaved, I'm morally superior to those that are inside. Look at what he says in verse 12. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. Now the first group of people were people that we would say today would be not in church, not saved. People that we come into contact with around as we go through our day. But now we're talking specifically about people. He's comparing himself now to others who would be doing these things. Because an unsafe person isn't going to be tithing. An unsafe person isn't going to be coming to church. Isn't going to be giving these things, doing these things. Now we're talking about individuals who are believers, who do have faith. He says, I'm not like them either. 
Nice says fast twice a week. Why are we saying fast twice a week? Well, just in some studying and things, uh, the Pharisees and different people believed that Moses, when he went up onto the mountain to receive the Ten, the ten Commandments and so forth from God, had gone up and received, uh, to receive the Ten Commandments on a Thursday and had come back down from the mountain on a Monday. So they would fast on Thursdays and Mondays. Uh, as a way to be more spiritual and more holy. It was a way for them to do that. In further study, uh, we know that in portions of Scripture, Jesus says, and it says in Scripture as well, you know, don't disfigure your faces and don't be like other men are and, and make a big show of fasting, okay? That's one of the things that they would do as well. If he's coming in to town on a Monday or a Thursday, he's probably doing those things as well so that people know that he's fasting. I'm fasting twice in the week. I'm doing all these things. He says, I'm giving tithes of all I possess. I'm not just tithing on any income that I get. I'm going around and counting the value of all my property and all the things that I have and anything else that I get, anything extra, and I'm giving a tithe on everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe very strongly in tithing, okay? So I'm not telling us not to tithe. He's not doing it with the right heart attitude. He's not doing it the right way. That's the problem, okay? That's the problem. I'm doing more than that person's doing. If we're not careful today, we can begin to have an attitude like that. You know, I, I'm serving on this committee, and I am, I'm, I'm, I'm there, you know, Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I stay for this, and I do this, and I help do this, and I help do that. If we're not careful, we get into a wrong mentality. We begin comparing ourselves by ourselves and amongst ourselves instead of comparing ourselves to God's Word and looking and seeing what is God telling us tonight. I'm morally superior. I'm doing better than everybody outside the church. I'm doing better than everybody inside the church. They're there at the temple time to pray. They're praying to two different people. Look what it says back in verse 11 one more time. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. prayed with himself. He didn't pray to God. He prayed to himself. And prayed in such a way that people around would see that. And he's missing the point of what's going on because he's put his trust first in the wrong place. He's trusted in himself that he was righteous. He's not looking at what's going on. Look with me over in Matthew chapter 15 really quickly. He's looking at the outside only. He's looking at the things that are, that are visible. He hasn't taken a moment to look really and truly at himself. In Matthew chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse number 11, but before we go there... This is a portion of Scripture where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, hey, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? They're transgressing the law of Moses. They're not washing their hands and then they're going to go and eat. Why aren't they doing that? Why are they not washing before they eat? Jesus says to them, first of all, uh, in verse number 3, why are you also transgressing the commandment of God by your tradition? You see, the Pharisees had devised a system whereby they could, in their own minds, justify themselves, honor their parents, but not support them in their old age. And that's what, that's what, it, that's what Jesus goes through in verses 5 on down. 
says, hey, honor your father and mother, but they're not actually doing it indeed. They found this little loophole they've created within the law themselves, this little loophole where they can honor their mother and father, as the commandment says, and yet not be a helper or support to them whenever they need it. They can bypass it. They can justify themselves. And Jesus says this in verse 11, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. This defileth a man. Jesus says, you've got it backwards. You're looking at the outside only. Skipping over to verse 16 of the same thing, the disciples ask him what the parable means. And he says, are you also without understanding? Verse number 17, do not, ye, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the draught. Whatever you eat is going to come back out eventually. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. That's where it really is. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says he doesn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Sin nature comes from within us. It doesn't come from without. It comes from within. It's in our hearts. And what's in our hearts is what defiles us. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the thing which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And if, we don't, if, we, if we're not careful, if we don't uh, uh, caution and, and take warning from it, we can get in that same pattern of, of being outside, being superficial in our Christian life, and never really getting into it. We condemn those that are not saved. We can be measuring people that are saved to our standards of righteousness. We're trying to earn or justify ourselves or earn our own salvation. Some symptoms of spiritual pride before we move on to the, Pharisee, the publican. Excuse me. Finding fault. One symptom, finding fault. Everyone else is wrong. Everyone else is doing something wrong. Hearing a sermon and thinking of someone else. Boy, I'm, I wish that someone was here today because they really need to hear this sermon. A harsh spirit, such as the Pharisee, despising others. Superficiality, only concerned with the outside. Being defensive. That's a symptom of spiritual pride. Trying to justify one yourself. Presumption before God. That's what the Pharisees had. They had presumption before God. They said, the merit system. We're working on this merit system. Desperation for attention or neglect of some. In other words, only hanging out with people or only having company with people that will give you some kind of benefit or credit in other people's eyes. We have to caution ourselves and be aware of those things. All of those seven things were things that the Pharisee had in himself. We know from his prayer he was finding fault in other people. He despised others. He was only concerned with the outside. If you were to confront him, he would have been defensive about all the things that he had. His prayer was presumptuous. The fact that he prayed openly was desperation for attention. And he would not have hung out with the publican. In fact, he put that publican in that separate category and said, I'm not like him. I'm not going to be around him. The symptoms of spiritual pride that the Pharisee had. But now let's go back to our main text and let's contrast now with the publican and see where we're at with that. So we've seen spiritual pride. Now we're going to see spiritual humility is trusting in God. And beginning in verse number 13 says this, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The first thing is that the, the publican had correctly placed trust 
I want to look first at the attitude in the, uh, of the publican and, and how he was. He was standing afar off. He didn't presumptuously come all the way. In some commentaries I was reading, if, you, if you're familiar with the, with the temple outline, there was the, the outer court area and there was a place for the Gentiles. The Gentiles could go in, but only so far. It was a possibility that this man, this publican, only came in as far as the court of the Gentiles and didn't go all the way in to the next level. He probably could have. He's a Jew, no doubt. But he didn't. He stayed where the he stayed outside. He had a humility about himself. He didn't presumptuously approach the throne of God. He was standing afar off. He wouldn't lift up his eyes. I don't think that was disrespect. I think it was actually a sign of respect. But now the action of the publican, he beat his breast. I'm going to read this verse, 2 Samuel 24, 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. But that first part of that verse, David's heart smote him. What's actually indicated in the original uh, uh, wording is that he didn't just hit himself one time, but he's continually hitting himself. He's continually hitting himself. And I won't demonstrate because I've got the microphone on it. Make a lot of banging in here. But he's continually hitting himself. This wicked heart of mine. I'm a sinner, forgive me. A continual action in the way that David's heart smote him. In other words, there was a true conviction there. Maybe you remember the time in your life where you got saved and you knew you had to go forward. You knew you had to take care of it at that moment. Man, your heart's just beating in your chest, right? Because you know what you got to do. Or maybe a time in your life where God really convicted you of something, as it did David in, in verse 24. And just that action, just knowing that God's speaking to you. But he has an outward showing of what's going on inwardly in his heart. And he's asking for mercy. He's coming to God in the right way, recognizing that recognizing the conviction that was in his life, recognizing where he was at. And so what is the cure then? What is the result here? Looking again at verse 13. God be merciful to me, a sinner. The first thing that we have to be aware of in order for us to make sure that we don't go this route is recognition of ourselves. Recognition of ourselves. We have to know there's a problem. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that don't realize that there's a problem within. They don't take care of the problem. They don't even know they're lost. There is a time, and I know that you all would know it more than I would, but there's a time when more people were attending church and more people knew about church and more people knew about the things of God. And I, and I you know, didn't grow up in the same uh, time period. But there's so many people today that if you ask them today, are you saved? They wouldn't know what you're talking about. They would say, what am I saved from? Saved from what? Did I save on my car insurance with Geico? <laughs> you know? I don't know. What am I saved from? What do I need to be saved from? They don't know. They don't realize. They don't recognize because the culture is so far removed from these things. But we have to come to that place in our own lives, realizing that we are all sinners in need of grace. Now, here's a key for you, okay? We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. 
Okay, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You see, the other way around, if we, if we were sinners because we sin, we could fall back into the same trap as the Pharisee. Or we could fall back into that thing and we'd say, well, you know what? If that's all it is, I'll just stop sinning. I'll just stop sinning and I won't be a sinner anymore. And ultimately, that way of thinking really cancels, so to speak, the death of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ. It's not that way. We sin because we're sinners. Or another way that, was, that it could be put is this. We're not good people. I heard this this week from, from the, the ladies' Bible study. Megan's in that on Tuesdays. We're not, uh, it says, we are not good people who sometimes do bad. We're bad people who sometimes do good. And that's the truth for everybody. It's the truth for all of us. As, the, as was taught in Scripture, the, the sin is in our heart. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so we have to remember, first of all, that the sin nature is in us. We do have one caution with this here. It is possible to go the other direction. To become so uh, uh, low so humble, so humility that, we, that we're now spiritually proud the other way. You know, look how humble I am, right? We have to be careful about that. True humility is this, seeing things the way they are. That's what true humility is, just recognition of who we are, recognition of who God is. So the first thing, recognition of self, recognition of who I am, recognizing that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. When the publican came that day, he recognized that. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized, first of all, where he was at. But he also recognized his need. That's the next thing. That's the other thing. A cure for spiritual pride. Recognition of need. He came humbly before God. He said, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful. I know I need that. Look at 1 John 1. Familiar portion of Scripture, but 1 John 1. 8 through 9. We'll start back at verse number 7, actually, in 1 John 1 and 7. It says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse number 8, here's the key. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at Psalm 51 in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 51, David writing here a psalm asking for God's mercy and forgiveness after his sin with Bathsheba. And Psalm number 51. And verse number 2 says this, Wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And here's the key for that in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. I'm in need of cleansing. I'm in need of washing. And you're the only one that can do it. The publican said, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized that God was the one who gave mercy, that he was in the need, that he was a sinner, and that he was in need of mercy. Look at Psalm 103 while you're there in the Psalms. Psalm 103. Because not only did David uh, recognize his need for washing, his need for cleansing, and he recognized that God was the one that could do it. 
as the publican did. We also see the same thing here in Psalm 103 in verse number 8, beginning there, and we'll read. Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Praise God. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. He recognized who He was, the publican. He recognized His need for mercy. And as David, he recognized that God was the only one that could give that mercy, that was the only one that could give that real cleansing. Not an outward cleansing, as the Pharisees were talking about in Matthew, but the inward cleansing that he so desperately needed. We recognize our position of sinners. We recognize the great need for God's mercy. We look at things the way they are. We don't overdo our humility to where we're, I'm so good, you know, I'm, I am so much more humble than everybody else. And we don't go the other direction trying to justify ourselves. We look at the way things are. So he recognized himself. He said, God be merciful to me. A sinner. He didn't say, God be merciful to that man over there praying because he thinks he's spiritual and righteous, but he's really not. God be merciful to me. He recognized his need. He needed the mercy of God. And now he recognizes God. This is so good right here. This is the best part, I think, of the whole thing. Because if we go back, and I have to read this because I'm not smart enough to know this without reading it. But if you go back to the original way that this is worded in the original language, what he is asking for here is for God to be his propitiation. For God to forgive him of his sins. For God to come and forgive him in the same basis and the same merit that God forgives us of our sins today. Go to 1 John 2. 1 John chapter 2. Because this is what he's really asking for. He's not just asking for mercy. He's not just asking for, you know, your blessing today on me, help me out. You know, this isn't a casual prayer. This is a true and humble recognition of what he really and truly needs in his life. And it's the same thing that we all really and truly need in our lives as well. He's asking for God's propitiation. Verse, uh, 1 John 2, verse number 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation meaning this, satisfaction. Satisfaction. And we read in the Bible that it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And for many, many years, they would continually go to the temple and bring the sacrifice that would cover them for that day. And the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies once a year and sprinkle the blood on the altar once every year for the whole nation. And they would do that continually, continually, every day, offering sacrifice. And they were given ways to do it. If they were wealthy enough, they had a lamb. If they weren't wealthy enough, they had two turtle doves, as Mary and Joseph did. And, and just many different things. They had to come continually over and over every day. Be satisfied, be satisfied. But Christ's death on the cross paid the ultimate satisfaction and gave the ultimate propitiation that there never needed to be another sacrifice like that again. And that is what the publican is praying. God, be satisfied with the sacrifice that was made and forgive me, a sinner. Notice it says the sins of the whole world. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Christ's death was complete. 
Christ's death doesn't leave anything out. It doesn't leave any sin out. It doesn't leave any person out. It was complete in that all of sin was covered. It's true that not everybody will accept Him, but His complete sacrifice, it was sacrifice, His satisfaction was for all. He died for all. That propitiation is found in other places in Scripture as well. Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25 says this, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In Romans 3.25, Paul is talking about that place, that mercy seat where the high priest would enter once a year and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, on the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant there in the Holy of Holies once a year for the entire nation. He's not just saying, pray for the sins today. He's saying, all of my sins, be satisfied with the sacrifice, the place of propitiation, the mercy seat. Faith in the blood, look at that again. God hath set forth a propitiation through faith in His blood. Hebrews 2.17 Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Reconciliation in this verse is the propitiation, the satisfaction, dying in our place. And here, as a high priest coming before God, Jesus Christ removes sin and restores fellowship with God. Restores fellowship with God. Back in our main text. In Luke chapter 18. And verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself should be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The publican came and prayed the prayer that needed to be prayed. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized what his need was. He didn't come as the publican did, puffed up and self-justified, self-righteous in his own eyes, on the merit system, looking down on others. He came humbly before the throne. He came humbly before God. In the big picture, that's the way that we are to approach God, in humility, recognizing who we are, coming before Him. He trusted, in G- he trusted in the sacrifice that it would be good for him, that it would cover him, and that it would forgive him of his sins. He recognized that God is the only one who could truly give what he needed. And that's where we are today as well. We need to recognize that God gives us that. And then we take that message outside of the walls of our church as well because there's others that need to hear that. The true cure for spiritual pride is recognizing where we are, recognizing God, recognizing who he is putting ourselves aside and coming before Him humbly. We don't achieve justification through works, but through Christ alone. And so we have to be cautious today that we don't fall into the same pattern as the Pharisee did, but that we always are coming humbly before God, bringing our petitions to Him, recognizing His, His place in our life and who we are and where we're at. Let's stand.